welcome to Special Topics, episode number three with Cheryl Nakeba and Sarah Ross. Thank you guys for coming on the podcast. It's great to be with you today. Thank you for having us, Jake. Yeah, we're going to talk on this episode about mindfulness and meditation, something that you guys have really brought to Gilman and teach with the high school boys. And I think from hearing during the forum meeting last week and a, a little bit more about it, I think it's really important for high school students to have some of this or, or at least understand what it is as a tool and a resource they can use. I think especially right now with COVID and so much screen time and everything, all the stress that that goes into a lot of these guys' lives with school and college and really all the factors that you really have to balance. I, I think it's an important tool, but maybe we can start off with how did you guys get into meditation and mindfulness, and why did you think it was a good idea to bring this into the lives of high school boys? You want to start, Carol? Sure. sure. All right. <laughs> um, I really credit my children with kind of bringing mindfulness to my life. Um, I have two sons, and um, a couple years ago, both of them did uh, what's called the Vipassana, which is a 10-day silent retreat which is a really long time to be quiet and to be meditating. And when they came out of that time, they were spilling over with wisdom. Like it, it, and, and it came to them during that time while they were being quiet and meditating. So that was very, very inspiring. Where, where did they go for that? Did they just go into the woods, into like a, a house or like where? Um, I always hear about those silent retreats. Where is that? Yeah. Where does it happen? There's so many ways you can do a silent retreat. A Vipassana, it, these were both run at a monastery. So you're kind of on the grounds of the monastery and you keep silence um, except for certain periods during the day when they have a meditation and maybe a teaching. But other than that, you're, you're silent for 10 full days. Um, and so since then I've been practicing meditation myself Um, my younger son um, has ADHD and he's told me that um, you know with ADHD not only does he need help focusing um, and always is looking for natural ways to do that but um, ADHD can really bring on a lot of anxiety and stress you know being kind of out of control of your life And he's told me on numerous occasions that when he meditates, when he does give the time to practice, um, he finds he's much calmer, he's much more focused, and much less anxious. So that's really my inspiration. And when you practice on your own, what is your, like, routine or ritual? Is it, I think one thing that people don't understand about mindfulness and meditation is you don't need to sit in a room in the lotus position with incense burning and you know all the works it can be something that you do on a you can you can do it anywhere really you can you can practice mindfulness how how do you work that into your life sarah well i try to have more of a ritual more of a you know daily practice so you know a space quiet um but you're right um, there was a time when I was commuting an hour each way to work, and that was my time. So, you know, my time was behind a wheel, hopefully paying attention to, to you know, the driving, not driving off the road. <laughs> so how do, you me- how do you meditate when you drive a car? Um, I'm just very clear about paying attention to the moment. Constantly reminding yourself, mm-hmm. even as you're operating or, or doing a task, that you're in the present. You're not thinking about where you're going or... 
where you've been really, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I happen to be commuting uh, through the woods, so there was a lot of beauty around me hmm. to take mm-hmm. in at that time. Definitely helps. Cheryl, how about you? What's your story and how'd you get into this? Well, my path to meditation was a little different. Um, I was a student at the Peabody Conservatory and I was playing a recital. Um, and when you play these recitals called juries, they're examinations and they're teachers with um, recording devices and notepads taking notes and you're going to get a grade at the end of this. I was playing one jury and one of the teachers wrote at the end of it on my comments that it was very obvious that I could play everything that I needed to play, but once in a while my attention would slip. I'd sort of miss something and then grab it. And she was a meditator, so she recognized that if I practice training my attention, that my performance level would go up. And she recommended that I try some type of meditation. Well, I knew some people who were meditating, but at that time of my life, I grew up Southern Baptist, so meditation was like, woo-woo, don't do that, that's spooky, that's some other religion. Hmm. And I actually um, talked to a few people and found out more about it and learned that it really was about training your attention to be aware of the present moment. It wasn't a religion, and it wasn't going to be counter to the Christianity that I had grown up with. So that was the point where I actually did um, transcendental meditation, and I was trained by a counselor in how to focus my attention within, to how to hold it on one particular thing and stay in that moment. And since then, I have a lifelong of experience in training my attention, training my focus. I often tell the students I used to play basketball, um, and in It was nothing for me to come home, throw my books down, and go straight to the basketball court Mm -hmm. and just shoot free throws and just, you know. And so in that moment where you have to shoot the free throw under pressure, that you can see every movement, you can see the release of the ball, you can see the ball going into the net before it lands. Hmm. And so that is a type of mindfulness practice. Now, when I was a teenager doing that, I wouldn't have called it mindfulness But that's exactly the level that athletes get to when they're in the zone, so to speak. And that zone is that moment where there are no distractions. There's nothing else that you're thinking about, that that you're one in that moment with that activity. And so one of the reasons I was excited to bring it to Gilman, this practice, is that If you learn this as a teenager, how I wish I had learned it when I was younger Mm -hmm. and could have been applying it to all of my activities. And so in the Kuru Mindfulness Program that we are introducing, it comes out of Duke University. You're learning these basic skills that people do all the time, a walking meditation. But how many of us walk mindfully? especially in the age of cell phones. Mm. How many of us are walking, reading text messages or reading emails or thinking about something other than the beautiful trees that you're passing while you're walking? Or have your earbuds in and listening to music. Or uh, There's barely any of that, I, I, I would assume. Right. And so that's the training that we're bringing. These are skills, learning how to eat mindfully, how to walk mindfully, how to be aware of your breath, 
because the breath really does ground us to life and keeps us alive. So if you're just aware of breathing in and breathing out, then you're in the moment. Mm -hmm. And very often if you get hurt, if you're excited, if you're afraid, people say breathe, breathe. But we don't think about why they say that because it grounds us. And so basically we're teaching skills that people already have, but teaching you to be consciously aware of them versus just experiencing them. Yeah, the simplest skills there are, right? Be aware of your breath, which it sounds completely basic. You know, be aware of your breath. I'm constantly breathing. I don't even think about myself breathing. But to to be aware of that, you can go through your entire life. People go through their entire life without even acknowledging the fact that they're inhaling and exhaling. Right. Yes. Which is amazing. But that's what mindfulness really is. That's how you would describe it. I think... Maybe if I'm a high school kid or, or someone who hasn't heard about this practice before, it's a little vague. Like people say, be mindful. Mm-hmm. W- what exactly does that mean? Does that mean just conscious awareness of everything you're doing? Or how can you define that so it's maybe a little bit more tangible for someone who doesn't really know what that is? Um, well, we say that mindfulness is an approach to life that involves learning to pay attention to the present moment without thinking about the past or the future, being truly here now. And I know that whenever you lose a goldfish, a puppy, a dog, whatever that is, you're totally in that moment. But to be in that moment without having to experience loss, to be with someone when you're talking to them, really paying attention to them and not looking at your phone or not watching a movie, but just to be with your friend and really pay attention and listen. Mm -hmm. So it's really about not thinking about the past or the future, but just this moment. And the moments of your life create your life. You know, if you live every present moment completely, then you will have a full life. Yeah, maybe without distraction or without thinking about what it is you're going to say next and being completely in the moment listening Mm -hmm. is part of it too. Mm -hmm. Um, What are ways that you guys were taught to be mindful? So when you say kuru mindfulness and educating students or people how to be mindful, what are some of those practices that you go through or or workshop through Kuru or through your experience learning how to be mindful because when I first heard about it and first started practicing it, I heard from someone, uh, Naval Ravikant, do you know that name? He he was talking about it and he says, you don't, sometimes you don't even need any guidance with it. It's just the art of doing nothing. It's just sitting or, or um, staying present in the moment and letting the thoughts filter through your brain but not really consciously grasping or holding on to them and and just letting them happen so in some sense you you might not need someone shepherding you through how to do it because there's really no right way to do it would would you agree with that or is there is there a certain skill set that you need to be educated with no i think you're absolutely right but I think we live in a society that is constantly bombarding us with all kinds of information, either on our phones, on our computers, uh, video games, 
Um, we're, we, we're in a school that's, you know, it's a pretty intense environment. And so I think it does take, I love this word practice. And I think when you talk about something tangible, like we practice playing basketball, we practice playing lacrosse, we practice studying our verb conjugations, we practice our bassoon. But maybe we do need to practice this, even though it seems easy and come naturally. But in fact, with practice, you can really can quiet your mind. Mm -hmm. um, but it takes effort, I think. Um, and I think of it say? like exercising. Um, you know, I try to exercise at least four days a week. But if I don't do that, my muscles begin to atrophy. Mm -hmm. So if I don't, as Sarah said, if I don't consciously practice being present, then I just am bombarded with thoughts. Mm -hmm. And thoughts come and go all the time. But what I want to be able to do by being mindful is witness them without being involved in them, without it being an emotional experience. I can sit on the bank of peace and watch my thoughts without being involved in them. And I think if you don't have a practice, you run the risk of just having a bombardment of thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then I've seen people who literally get up and say, I'm not doing this. I have too many thoughts. Right. And so, uh, that's what I wanted to ask you guys well, next. Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. So it's like if I throw a pebble into a pond, at first there are a lot of ripples. But eventually those ripples will all disappear and there's peace and calm. Mm -hmm. So that's what happens when you sit to, to meditate, to be mindful. All of a sudden there's this bombardment of thoughts. Well, you have to sit there long enough for that to quiet down. And to me, that's the benefit of going in and out with the breath. And that's why the breathing is often that first introduction to mindfulness, because after you do it a while, you release being conscious and it's just happening. But there you're calm. Mm -hmm. And to get to a place of calm at this point of our society and our living, we have to be trained to do that. Very few people know how to calm themselves. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and to your point about focusing on the breath, that's probably the most common directive in these practices is just focus on the breath, calling someone's attention to their breath. Because if someone didn't do that, they no one would think about their breath, right? It doesn't come to you consciously to say, okay, I need to think about my inhale, my exhale. The way I think about that, though, is do you know how when you're teaching someone how to balance, like balance mm -hmm. on one leg, you, you say look at a single spot on the ground exactly. and that helps you balance. And after a while, you just get your balance and you're on one leg and it's easy. But that first call your attention to that blade, like in lacrosse, it's like you're balancing on one leg. It could be like a warm-up activity or calisthenics and it's like look at one blade of grass. And then after a while, it's easy, but it's a similar concept, I think, in meditation. Call your attention to your breath for the first five to ten minutes, and then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you're in that space of, of flow, and you're just letting the thoughts go in and out of your brain, and it's, it's peace. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, why do you think this practice is helpful for high school students? Why, why are we bringing this to the... The boys at Gilman, why do you think? And Kuru is mostly college age students, so I understand, you know, maybe at Duke University to try to get some of the students there to 
acknowledge their own their thoughts and, and to relieve some stress. But why do you think this might be helpful for some of the boys at Gilman? I don't know. I think I've noticed, and especially in the past 10 years, kind of a rise in anxiety and stress in my students. And I don't, I'm not the only person who's noticed this. A lot of um, different kinds of um, psychologists and practitioners have noticed that as well. Um, there's been, as a college counselor, there's so much focus on the college process and so much stress surrounding that. But as Cheryl was saying earlier, you know, I just believe so strongly that if we can help our students focus on this moment, you know, they will build a beautiful and meaningful life. Mm -hmm. If they're constantly focusing on that future and that outcome, and um, it's not to say I don't want our students to be aspirational and to want to achieve great things, but I think if they focus on now, they will achieve great things. So I think this is a life skill that we can gift our students that is just so, so important. And this particular program was designed really with young emergent adults in mind. Um, 18 to 29. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's meant to um, really provide them with kind of a pretty quick result. Um, they've, they've chosen certain activities or, or practices um, that will, will they'll see results pretty quickly and realize, wow, this is worth doing. Um, this really will help my life. And although it was designed with college-age students from 18 to 29, and also the research was done on that group initially, um, it has been adapted by many high schools and utilized. And for instance, this book, The Mindful 20-something, that Holly Rogers wrote, she's the founder of the Kuru program, um, this book is really for any age because these skills that we're talking about don't go away. You need to know them even if you're an adult. Mm -hmm. And even middle school programs have adapted the book and modified the material to be appropriate for middle school students, especially given the last year mm -hmm. um, with the stresses that were presented with the COVID. And so I have used this quite often in helping students in my own practice on a daily basis. I think there have been a lot of frustrations with technology and how to use technology and how to accomplish things and just not being able to reach out and touch people. Mm -hmm. um, just taking 10 minutes to do one of these practices can mitigate so much of that stress. Mm -hmm. Not all of it, right. but can really help students at various ages and you can modify it. So you brought up a couple ideas that I want to get to. And Sarah, you said that you might see results right away. I'm wondering what maybe stress uh, reduction is one of those results. But what are some other types of results, quote unquote, that meditation can do for people at any age, whether it's high school, college or just adults? What are what are those results? More increased energy. Um, there are exercises that we teach in the core group that are specific to learning to tense and relax muscles. And as an athlete, you know that that is the way to get to a calm place. So that if you want to run in a track and field event, you have to tense and relax those muscles to warm up, and therefore your muscles are loose and you can go. So if you learn to tense and relax your muscles, which is one of the teachings, then you're calm. Mm -hmm. And from a place of calm, you can explode into energy. You can be super conscious. 
Um, that's one, helping you to sleep better. There's one meditation, which one is it? The belly Bell breathing. So that'll be the first one we teach because it takes about two minutes and can help you fall asleep or just help calm the nervous system. Belly breathing? Mm-hmm. It's diaphragmic breathing. Instead of in your lungs, you're, you're bringing it down further. Right, breathing more deeply. And, you know, musicians know how to breathe this way. Singers and instrumentalists who blow instruments, mm-hmm. we're trained in that. But we don't consciously think about it. I was doing it for years without understanding why I felt invigorated after practicing my instrument. Hmm. I knew that I had this physiological effect. It had an effect on me. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know why. But now I understand. Um, and yeah. so those are two things that can be improved. But just being more peaceful and more joyful and resilient. I have to bring up resiliency because you don't realize it. But when you're highly tense, you're less resilient. Mm-hmm. But when you're calm then you can think through things and make better decisions. I would say also less reactionary maybe because mm-hmm. just from what I've noticed from doing it the last year, I've, I've tried to do it pretty much every day. And, and I've, I feel like when something would typically bother me a lot more or mm-hmm. I'd be more willing to lash out and, and respond quickly, I've kind of uh, noticed more how that, whatever it is, that stimulus has made me feel inside and, and then reacted according to the stimulus, but not, it, it's, it's less just straight up reactionary. Like maybe a lot of people would respond to something like that. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. And that's what I call resilience. It's the same thing can happen, but you don't have that same immense, intense response. Mm-hmm. You just don't have it because you're more calm. Mm-hmm. What got you started? So it actually was during COVID, like the beginning of COVID, and I was just kind of sitting around, and I was like, there's there's not really much to do here. You can't go outside. You can't, you know, do the normal things that I – because I'm usually go, go, go. Like meditation, I've always heard about it, and I knew what it was, but I was like, I'm not going to sit down and do nothing for an extended period of time. I've got things to do, right? And a lot of people are like that. But – I read a book by Sam Harris, who's one of my favorite kind of intellectual guys that I listen to on YouTube, and he has a podcast, and I think he's a, he's a very smart guy, and he wrote this book called Waking Up, and he has an app. I'm sure you guys have heard of Waking Up, the app, yes. um, and he was giving out free trials on the app, and I was reading the book at the same time, and I was like, I'll check out the app and just see what it's about, Um and that's also the time that I came across this guy, Naval Ravikant, who talks about mindfulness and meditation. He says there's no need for apps. All you do is just sit down. He describes um, it as inbox zero. So you know the feeling when you get to inbox zero on your Gmail and you have nothing else and you're like, it's the weekend, I have nothing else to do, no emails to respond to. That's his metaphor for when you sit down Focus on the breath for five to ten minutes. Let all the thoughts just go through your brain. Then you're at inbox zero. You're at peace, and you can just relax mm-hmm. into meditation. So I, I came across Sam Harris and Naval, and it was just I started practicing. I started doing it on my own for ten minutes at first a day, and then twenty minutes, and then Naval's like, you have to do it for an hour. 
an hour. I'm like, an hour is a that's a long time to sit in one place. But well, there's been a lot of research at UC Berkeley about what is that ultimate, what is that best optimal time that you could meditate and get benefits from it. And they actually found that it's 12 minutes. 12 minutes. Right. Now, it may take you eight minutes to get calm. <laughs> so then the 12 minutes begins. Mm -hmm. But To get to inbox zero, eight minutes. To get it, to what he calls inbox zero. And I really would love to have a conversation with him because I think people need a technique to get to inbox zero. Mm -hmm. it, you could just sit there and thoughts could just come and come and come and come and start building a bird's nest in your hair, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> so, or you can also sit there and the thoughts are coming and then you follow one thought down the rabbit hole and then all of a sudden you're spending your whole time in meditation just thinking. Right. And that is the, the goal is to get to the point where you're beyond thought, where you transcend thinking. And you're just noticing. And you're just noticing. So, yes, I. but that 12-minute time. Um, sometimes in the evening, I especially am challenged because I'm tired and I'm sleepy, but I'll make myself do one of the techniques that gives you energy, mm. and then I'll do a 12-minute meditation and find it to be very beneficial. Now, in the mornings, I try to do longer meditation, but it's about being mindful. It's about being present, and then even throughout the day, as I move around, as I walk, as I eat, as I do whatever I'm doing, I make it a practice, as Sarah said, mm -hmm. to continue to have that state of calmness while I'm doing any other activity. So I think the skills that are taught in Kuru um, really do help the students. And it does have an app. I want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things I've been doing in the evening is I'm like, I'm tired. I don't really feel like focusing. I'll play the app and do one of, they have three-minute guided mindfulness practices or five minutes or ten minutes. So you can really set your time. And they found that the Duke University students, when they were doing the research, were so busy, they were like you and like many of our students, mm -hmm. that they wouldn't do an hour meditation. It was like, I don't have time for it's that. It's a long time. Even the class is normally 75 min minutes, and we've shortened it to 45 min minutes because we know that 75 minutes, that's a long time for our students. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say having a true practice, doing it for 12 minutes once a day, and it would be great if you could get to twice a day, but the app really helps. And also you can log what you've done, and then at the end of the month you can see how, you know, how successful you were. It's mm -hmm. like riding Peloton. Mm -hmm. You're on a streak. You've done a whole week. Right. You've done five days in a row. These things really feed people and help them to stay motivated to keep going. Yeah, and I think even more important than the I'm on a 100-day streak or whatever is that that meditation is always in your conscious mind. And it's like what you said, when you're eating or when you're with other people, mm -hmm. you have the ability to observe yourself, which is the, the life skill that it gives you. But if you... If you do it sporadically, you take days off, it, it, it won't be on your mind. You, you won't have it there to use as a resource in your waking life. Right. It's like having a, a team that doesn't practice. Mm -hmm. They're not going to win very often. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I loved your um, example of the free throw because I think w with so many athletes, mindfulness plays can play such a crucial role because... 
there is a lot of stress on the playing field and at practice and competition and it's a you know sports are fast moving games you're constantly thinking about the next play or the last play that you made a mistake on and having the ability to just center yourself in a moment during a game or during a practice I think is crucial it can really help students I wish I had practiced (laughs) more mindfulness when I was playing sports because even now I I was telling you guys I'm just playing tennis, you know, with my friend, I can kind of, I can put away the last couple points and I can not think about the next point and I can really force myself to focus on the current point, which it ups your play. It makes Mm -hmm. you better. Interestingly, the first book I read that was similar to mindfulness was called The Inner Game of Tennis. And I remember his last name was Green. I don't remember the first name of the author, but um, it was about focusing on what you're doing and playing the next point. Not thinking about the mistake you already made or what's coming, just the next point. Mm-hmm. Just one point at a time. And before you know it, you've won the match. Right. Yeah. You're in that moment. I think right. tennis is the perfect mm-hmm. example because it's such a it's such a I cannot imagine playing on a big stage because it is the most mentally challenging maybe golf is up there to rival it but it is the most mentally challenging game because it's just you versus another person you're not near the other person at all you're constantly thinking about the mistakes you made you're constantly thinking about how to set that person up for failure It, it is such a mental sport well and I think about Serena she's been in six matches where she could have gotten the 24th title singles title mm-hmm her mental game has not allowed her to do that. She yeah. had the skill to do it. Right. But I think the pressure of getting to 24 mm. is what blocked her. And I've often wanted to call her and said, Serena, why don't we do some <laughs> meditating? You know, I think we can get over this hump. <laughs> that would be awesome. You were her meditation coach. I love that. <laughs> that is great. Um, what else? Uh, one more question, I think, is when you recommend meditation and mindfulness to people, a lot of their, the time they'll say similar things to what we've been talking about. I have so much on my mind. When I sit down, all of my thoughts of everything that I have to do come flooding into my brain. I just have to get up and, and do those tasks. How do you describe mindfulness meditation to someone like that who probably needs it the most but doesn't? have the capacity just to sit in a room or to sit down for a couple seconds and and practice? Take it. I start with breathing. Um, I have a first cousin who actually grew up at at my home. We helped to raise him. And my husband and I both practice mindfulness and meditation. And he was like, I think I'll try it. And I had him sit still for a little while. And in a few moments, he said, oh, I have too many thoughts. And he got up. <laughs> and so um, when he has, was in college and he would have stressful times, I would literally coach him in breathing. Mm-hmm. And, and I and end up saying, do you feel better now? And he would say, yeah, I do. I mm-hmm. do. And he, we didn't call it meditation. But that's what it was. It was a mindful practice that I would do with him to help calm him down and center him. And so I really, I start everyone with the breathing. Yep. Yeah, and that's another thing that I practice a lot. Have you heard of Wim Hof breathing? I practice? I have not. So there's this guy, I think his name is Wim Hof, but he goes by Iceman. And um, (laughs) if you look him up, he'll come right up. He's this, 
crazy guy. He's a shirtless guy out in like Norway. I don't know where he's from, but he's in like in the snow. He's sitting down in the snow and he's trained himself to focus so much on his breathing and his his practice of mindfulness is a little bit different because it's very quick inhale, exhale, inhale, right. exhale, and then holding your breath for a certain amount of time. But that warms up his body so much that all of his pictures are, you know, in the tundra. And he's perfectly content there. And um, I've told some people about a video that I use sometimes called Wim Hof Guided Breathing. It's on YouTube. It's 11 minutes long. That's all it is. And it, and it really is quick inhale, quick exhale for a minute and a half. And then hold your breath for 90 seconds or something. And then a deep inhale belly inhale for like 30 seconds and then you breathe out and you do that three times through 11 minutes and I'm telling you you feel like you just like ran five miles and did 100 push-ups you feel amazing after you feel invigorated and there's a technique in Koru called um, dynamic breathing and you're breathing in in and out very quickly Mm -hmm. through your nose your mouth is closed and then you d- learn to move your arms and you learn to move your legs with it. And you do this for two minutes. That's and, all it takes. And you're invigorated. So say you have to study for a test, but you're tired. You played a, you've gone to school all day. You've played a game. You now don't feel like studying. This is the perfect technique to do mm-hmm. to get yourself mindful and alert and able to study. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the techniques you ask. What could we teach the high school students that would be helpful to them? I think any time that they can be invigorated and calm, these things can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. They really are tools that you can use and just lifestyle tools and ways to decrease your stress levels, decrease anxiety, um, increase productivity and performance, and just relax and create the type of environment where in your brain where you can succeed, I think. Absolutely. And even though this is not religious, these are tools for being mindful, for paying attention to now. Mm -hmm. Every religion says, be still and know. Mm -hmm. It's across the board. And I think what's true about that is that's when you can realize your inner strength, Mm -hmm. when you're calm. I was going to say, mindfulness is similar to prayer in a lot of ways. It's just silence and conscious... um, Prayer where you're listening. Right. Yeah, listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. And you have a clear set intention and you're open to being kind and compassionate um, Mm -hmm. and being in that moment. Yeah, it really does make a difference. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on today. I'd love to have more conversations with you about this because I, I think it really is important for everyone, but specifically for what you guys are doing at Gilman for the high school boys and helping them. Uh, use mindfulness techniques to find success and strength and the ability to be in the moment. So appreciate you guys coming on today. Thank you, Jake. Thank, Thank you. you, Jake. Thank you.